Hello, and welcome to the Magic Music Review Podcast. I'm Jim Spangler, your host. Join me each episode as we talk about our love of Disney music. It could be a song, a movie, a short film, a Broadway show, a Disney theme park, or one of the countless other forms Disney music takes. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the journey through the magic of Disney music on the Magic Music Review. everyone welcome to another episode of the magic music review uh in this episode actually we're on episode 21 that's amazing um i didn't think that i would ever do 21 episodes i remember looking at the list of movies and going oh i won't do most of these uh but we're on episode 21 which is awesome um and if you couldn't tell by the little bit of music that i played at the very beginning we have a very special episode today that i think a lot of people are going to like we're going to be talking about disney's 1994 animated musical feature the lion king Woohoo! Uh, and I am so happy to be joined again uh, today by Aaron Kaplan, who is a musician, an educator, an arranger, a conductor, uh, cellist, uh, just all-around great guy and friend um, here in the Chicagoland area. And if you may remember, he was with us during our discussion of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, the, the two episodes that we did, one for the movie and one for the stage show. show. And I've also done a show with him. So he's a great guy. So, hey, Aaron, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me back. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. You added so much to our Hunchback, to our, I, our don't you love that? It's like everybody that's listening is like in on the conversation. Um, you yeah. added so much to to the Hunchback of Notre Dame. I mean, I learned so much during those two uh, podcasts. It was awesome. It was awesome. So it's great to have you back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. If it's two things I love, it's musicals and Disney. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't get any better than that, right? That's, exactly. you know, just make me happy. Put me in my happy place. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Uh, so we're going to talk about Lion King today. And, yeah. and I know that you have an affinity for Lion King, as I do. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. And, and as I said before, let's, let's just go over some, some quick statistics. We'll just run some quick things by. Uh, sure. It was released in 1994. Uh, early, the limited release was on June 15th and wide release on June 24th. And it initially worldwide grossed $766 million dollars which was the highest grossing film of 94. It was the highest grossing animated film of all time at that point, uh, only to be surpassed by Finding Nemo in 2003. And then uh, the second highest grossing film of all time at that time. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. I, the second highest grossing film. I mean, that is, to me, that's just staggering that an animated feature... Uh, made that much money at that time, right? I mean, it, yes, it was the golden age for Disney, but come on, <laughs> that's yeah, crazy. I mean, yeah, and we and we're talking about a time where people still kind of uh, 
raise their you know noses to, towards animation. I mean, it was, it was considered a very kiddie art form still. Yeah, still, even though we had had Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin and all of that mm-hmm. already, it still was not uh, still was not as highly thought of as it is now. Um, that's yeah. yeah, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. Also, we need to remember that tickets did not cost as much back then. No, no, they did not. So that is a lot of tickets sold for that um, for that movie. So let's talk a little bit about uh, this cast because this cast is amazing. Yeah. Um, I love this cast. Uh, I think it was done so well and so thoughtfully. I feel like they really took a lot of time uh, to get it right. Um, yeah. So obviously Simba, uh, older Simba was Matthew Broderick. Um, who I absolutely love. Uh, and Joseph Williams provided adult Simba's, Simba's singing voice, and I thought he did a great job. Um, mm-hmm. And Jonathan Taylor Thomas voiced young Simba, and Jason Weaver provided uh, the Cubs' singing voice. And for those of you that don't remember, uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas uh, was known for Tool Time. No, what is was that the name of the mo- was that the name of the show? Oh. Home Improvement. Home, home Improvement. God, Tool Time. That was the show on the show, right? Tool right. Time. Uh, home Improvement. Uh, back back in the day, showing our age, aren't we? Oh, <laughs> jeez. Uh, Jeremy Irons was uh, Scar, um, which he did a great job. And I did not know he was not their first or second choice for that. And then he turned it down. <laughs> huh. He didn't want to do it. He had just gotten finished doing a really heavy movie and didn't think that he could go and do something as light as this. Uh, and when they because finally convinced, so yeah, when they finally convinced him to do it, they actually had him just bring some of that character in to, uh, to scars characters. So, and some of the lines even that he said from the other movie, they just added in, uh, hmm. to the, to the script, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Uh, James Earl Jones as Mufasa, don't need the to say legend. Ah, uh, the legend. Oh my God! Don't even need to say anything else about that. Uh, Moira, Moira Kelly as Nala. She was great. Um, and Sally Dworsky provided that singing voice. And this was the time when um, they didn't let actors sing their parts. Right. I. And go ahead. What were you going to say? Sorry. And if there are any West Wing fans, Moira Kelly uh, was in the very first season of the West Wing is Mandy. Um, and then mysteriously never came back for any other of the other seasons. But <laughs> that is every time I, every time I see the Lion King uh, cast roster, I'm always surprised that it's that Moira Kelly. Cause I don't know what else she did, but I know she was on uh, the West Wing season one and she was not ever anyone's favorite character. And, and then she just vanished. She was gone. No mention of her again. Just gone. Two. Just write her out. Just write her out. Not even write her out. Just never write her again. Exactly. <laughs> um, Nathan Lane was Timon and Ernie Sabella uh, was Pumbaa. Um, I, I mean, could that have been a better pair ever? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And they were just and they had just done um, Guys and Dolls on Broadway. Exactly. And I read an interesting story that uh, – they both read for something different. Nathan Lane read for Zazu and Ernie Sabella came in to read for one of the hyenas. And ah. um, after uh, and then they brought Nathan Lane in to to read for one of the hyenas with Ernie Sabella. And once mm-hmm. they heard them, they said they just had the whole crew 
in hysterics that they decided that they should be Timon and Pumbaa, which was just brilliant. Just brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant casting. Yeah, just so good. Um, Robert Guillaume as Rafiki, one of my favorite actors. Uh, uh, yes. Right. Rest in peace. I love Robert Guillaume. So good. Uh, Rowan Atkinson as Zazu, which was a great choice. Such oh, a yeah. great choice. Mr. Bean all the way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Madge Sinclair as Sarabi. Beautiful. Uh, just such a beautiful performance um, with that. Love that performance. Uh, and then the three hyenas were Whoopi Goldberg, Cheech, Cheech Marin, and Jim Cummings. Um, and interesting, they when they did this, they actually wanted Cheech and Chong to do. Right. And yeah. so when uh, Tommy Chong couldn't do it, um, they brought in Whoopi Goldberg and they changed the sex of the hyena to be right. Shenzi. So um, and another interesting about Tim about Jim Cummings, who I love. Everybody's mm-hmm. heard Jim Cummings. I mean, if you've heard, you know, the newer Tigger, if you've heard Pooh, if you've heard I mean, we could name. Yeah. I mean, he's done so many voices, but uh, Jeremy Irons was having vocal problems when they were doing Be Prepared. Uh, he blew out his voice, and so Jim Cummings came in and did a few of the lines for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a very vocally demanding song, Be Prepared. Uh, you know, I, I've often thought that. <laughs> I've often thought that. But it just made me laugh. Well, I can't imagine. I, doing that grovelly, growly sound, though, is yeah. not easy. Oh, yeah. Not no. easy over a long period of time. Um, so uh, anyway, that's the that is pretty much the cast. Uh, great cast. I just you know they I think during this time more than any other, they were just able to bring in people that just blew it out of the water. I mean, yeah, I mean, they were by this point, Disney really had some cachet around Hollywood and they could really get who, who they wanted, whether it be a list Hollywood people or Broadway people, but people, especially after Robin Williams's performance in Aladdin, I think people were really wanting to be in, uh, you know, voices for Disney animated films. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Um, you know, they were doing Pocahontas at this time too. They were making Pocahontas and Mm -hmm. it's interesting. Disney didn't have a whole lot of faith in the Lion King. Yeah, a lot of their right. lead and top animators were going on to Pocahontas because they thought it was going to have more uh, prestige to be a part right. of. Yeah, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was the head of animation at that time, who soon would you know depart for to, to start DreamWorks, the rival company, um, really wanted um, another sweeping romantic epic like Beauty and the Beast was. So all, most of their focus was go- going into Pocahontas, including. You know, Alan Menken. Right. Right. And which is which is, you know, I'm sure we'll get to later, but that's why he he isn't did not write the score unbeknownst to, to some people. He did not write the score for The Lion King. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Actually, they, they started with Tim Rice. They had Tim Rice right. um, and then Tim Rice wanted ABBA. To do the right. music. <laughs> because because chess. I mean, I love chess. Right. I, I really love do. I do, too. But come on. <laughs> And then they landed on Elton John, which mm-hmm. ended up being a brilliant choice. Yeah, absolutely. Really, and really if, brilliant choice. And if you look at the other things that Elton John did after this with Disney, I mean, Aida, 
Right. Um, and then going into his the own his own musicals, Billy Elliot, and I believe he just finished writing the score for The Devil Wears Prada, you know, right. which will come out in a post-COVID world. Right. Exactly. Um, this was his first foray into you know not just uh, being a, a touring musician. Right. Right. Exactly. And but he always was able to write great songs. Right. Yeah. He, oh, he yeah. doesn't write he doesn't write words, but his music is always catchy and fun and appropriate for whatever yeah. it is that he's doing. Um, it was just a, it was really a, a great choice, uh, I think, especially for this movie. Um, he really yeah. captured it, what it was, what what they wanted it to sound like. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that, you know, just like my man in chair, I'm not sure that I would call him a Broadway composer, really. But yeah. uh, but he does write a good he does write a good tune. Honestly, yes, he, he can he can he can crank them out. Yes, he can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have a score um, by Hans Zimmer, which I think is one of the greatest scores. Yeah, Hans Zimmer's score is really is really wonderful. Um, and what's cool about it is not only is there a nice collaboration between the songwriters and the the score composer, you know, be, which for the previous animated Disney musicals, Alan Menken was part of both. He was the right. score composer as well as part of the songwriting team. Right. It takes a lot. It's a lot of faith to have a separate score composer. But I think. You know, the collaboration between uh, Elton John and Tim Rice and Hans Zimmer really is seamless in th- throughout the, sh- the score. Absolutely. And and the way that Zimmer was able to interweave, you know, thematic material that Elton John had written. Um, yeah. Really masterful. And did it in a way that made it sound natural. It didn't sound like he was forcing it. Right. right. It was it, it was really mass. We're going to talk more about that. Uh, really masterfully done. Uh, this this movie won a few awards. It won a couple yeah. things. Yeah. It won the best movie comedy and uh, comedy and musical and best score at the Golden Globes. Uh, and then at the Academy Awards, it won best score and it won best song for Can You Feel the Love Tonight? And it had two other songs. It had Hakuna Matata and Circle of Life nominated. I mean, so it was basically yeah. competing against itself. Yeah. And it's interesting that they went with Can You Feel the Love Tonight as opposed to Circle of Life. I find that interesting, too, because um, uh, I think Circle of Life's the better song. <laughs> yeah. And Can You Feel I'm, the Love Tonight is kind of a pop ballad. Right. Yeah. It, and especially when Elton sings it over the end credits. Right. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Do your thing, Elton. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's very interesting that that is. I agree. It's very interesting that that's what they chose. Uh, but you know, who knows? Who can say, right? And it could yeah. be. It could really be that they were all just split between the three, and that just mm-hmm. happened to be the one, right? Because a lot of times right. that happens when there's yeah. three great choices or more great choices it's just split and then whoever it's almost by default it's like whoever gets that extra vote uh mm-hmm. gets it so um because really to be honest with you i would almost say hakuna matata was a better cho- better choice also because it was right. you know to me more noteworthy than can you feel the love tonight oh well yeah. hey speaking of music why don't we start talking about this let's talk about this movie yeah. and this this brilliant uh, music, because that's what we're all here for, to talk about this music that we love so much. Um, so 
Do you remember the first time that you saw the preview for this movie? Yes, I do. Um, and so I, so when the film came out, I was turning five years old in 94. And this was actually, this, this movie still holds the record for the, um, the most amount of times I've seen one movie in the theaters. (laughs) (laughs) And, and it is a, an embarrassing, but not really, uh, whopping seven times in the theaters. I saw the Lion King. Wow. Wow. Um, I still but get I, chills. This opening sequence still gives me chills. It's it's really it's an incredible feat what they accomplished both in the opening sequence of Beauty and the Beast and the opening sequence of The Lion King, two completely different um, messages and expositions get across. Yeah, um, but, but both done equally um, brilliantly, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And um, if you don't know, I'm assuming that everybody that's listening to this knows what we're talking about. We're talking about Circle of Life um, and that sunrise and the animals going to Pride Rock. Um, It's just amazing. And uh, what a brilliant decision on their part to just say that's just just the preview right there. That's it. Brilliant. With the long – with the hard stinger at the end – and that just the Lion King, just to say the Lion King. Yes, that I remember feeling the reverberance in the room I was in when I when I first saw the trailer of that bass drum. Yeah. Oh, Stinger. so Incredible. amazing. So amazing. It like I said, though, it still gives me chills. I'm thinking about the first time that I saw it sitting in the theater. I mean, I think it may have made me cry, honestly. Yeah. And and. The opening is just amazing, and and we're going to do another podcast about the stage production because it deserves its own podcast, definitely. Yes. Uh, but even that, it it made me cry when I saw that the first time too. I was just like, "This is just," it's almost like, it's it's like the perfect opening, right? It's the perfect statement of what this movie is about. Yeah, I mean, and it takes you, it it takes the audience through. Basically, like you said, what what the movie is about, it's about the circle of life from birth to death to renewal, all the themes that are covered. And these are and as I'm sure we'll get to later on. These are some heavy themes that are dealt with throughout the film. Yeah. Yeah. It's I would not call the Lion King light. No, I think I think a lot of people don't give it as much credit as they deserve. It is it's dark. It is. Um, I mean, you know, the Hamlet and Macbeth come out. Absolutely. In this. And, uh, you know, um, I th- I think it's I th- I think it's much I think they do such a great job of dealing with such heavy. Topics um, and making yeah. them accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, like you say, it, it was such a strong choice to make the trailer for this film that opening two and a half minute sequence, you know, I think because like we stated before, this was sort of the project that was going under the radar that not everyone was paying attention to. I think they were able to do things that perhaps if it was under, you know, the scrutiny of like, this is our next sweeping epic romantic drama, um, they wouldn't have been able to get away with. And I think it is a bold choice, you know, to basically give away your first two and a half minutes of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the other thing I like about it is that even though it does give away that beginning of the movie, you still 
don't know what the movie's about, right? All it did was make you want to see it. Right. Um, you know, and so many times movie trailers and animated movies are bad about it too. They give away all the jokes, right? Um, to try to make make it look like it's something that you want to see. So uh, just so good. So good. And the the vocal performance of Carmen Twilly and Lebo M in this are spectacular. Yeah. And it, it's such an it's interesting for two reasons for me. One, it's a trailer without dialogue. Yes. Obviously, they're lyrics, but without dialogue. And you never f- you know, who is that opening voice? Who are they in the film? Right. It's never discussed. I mean, there are many theories and it could probably be argued many different ways. But, you know, it like who that omniscient voice, who, you know, who is that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Who do you think it is? You know, I, I knew you were going to ask that as soon as I said <laughs> it. And I, I don't you think walked, I, you walked right into it. <laughs> I did. I think I think of it as as Mother Nature. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. totally agree with you. I was going to say Mother Africa, but Mother Nature. Mm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we, we should probably mention now, I mean, it can't be underscored enough the importance of Lebo M and all that he brought to the Hans Zimmer score because he is, you know, he is a South African producer and composer and he is responsible for helping with the translation and bringing all of the of the African text into the film all the the chants the opening call right that everyone that is iconic you know right. i mean he is such you know an incredible part of the score along with Hans Zimmer and that, you know, and the history of the i mean of the Lion King in general right through the Broadway yeah. musical and yes Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. Cannot enough cannot be said about that. And I feel like a lot of times uh, he's kind of left out of the conversation because you're talking about, you know, Elton John. Right. I even feel like I even feel like Tim Rice is kind of left out of the conversation in that right. sense. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and if and if anybody ever talks about uh, somebody that scored a movie, you know, if anybody talks about Hans Zimmer, it's you and me. Right. Right. I mean, you know, we're, we're the we're the we're the nerds. That, uh, <laughs> That's right. that talk about that. So, but uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I love Circle of Life. I love the theme of it. I love. I love the the simple language that Tim Rice uses to mm-hmm. convey his message. He doesn't try to uh, make it highfalutin, and at, at any point, it's just very straightforward, right? Um, yeah. And it's just absolutely beautiful. It's it has turned into one of Disney's iconic songs. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. And I, I only just thought of this because we're talking about it. Tim Rice up until that point, you know, obviously well known for his collaborations with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, and then we'd mentioned chess. But right. Those shows, I mean, they're very wordy. I mean, Jesus Christ Superstar, Evita, sung through. Oh yeah. So a lot of words have to, you know, a lot of a lot of text has to be written, but also narrative and uh, storytelling through the text and chess because the show is, you know, depending on which version you're talking about, can be slightly <laughs> confusing. Um, <laughs> really, is chess confusing? <laughs> I mean, it depends on which version. 
But the simplicity, again, like you said, the simplicity of his lyrics are really, are, are, are really um, understated, I think. Yeah, it's really striking in this. Hey, why don't we uh, listen to a little bit of Circle of Life? Let's do it. That song still gives me chills. I still am like, oh. ugh. I just love it. I love that song, and I love this version of that song. I love the stage version too, but yes. uh, there's something special about this version. I, I and mm-hmm. you know probably because it was our first introduction to it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it is it is so stunning, so stunning. So we meet um, we meet Simba, we meet the the, the pride basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Simba and uh, Nala uh, run off um, and Simba's showing off right and we get mm-hmm. this great song uh, because Zazu's trying to rein him in right trying to keep him in control um, yep. which is so funny uh, and we get this great song called I Just Can't Wait to Be King I personally I love this song. And the reason I love this song is not because it's brilliant. That's not it. Right? I get it because I think it does such an amazing job of capturing the jubilance that Simba has at that time. Right? I think it does such an amazing job as an I Want song to capture his absolute jubilance at what is happening. Right? And where he's going. Um, you know, practicing his roar and, and, you know, and the visuals support it so beautifully, uh, in this. And, um, you know, I just think it's, it's just, it's, it's just joyful to me. It's just joyful. Yeah. There's some, I mean, there's some stunning visuals in it. Um, particularly the, 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 the quote unquote, the dance sequences. Right. Um, Right. And. And, and again, this this song is an earworm. You know, when I was thinking about earlier today that we were talking, you know, later this evening about it, I got the song stuck in my head, and boy, it just has not left. I mean, once it's there, it will it will stay there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and one, this is probably unique to just me because I'm you know I'm a, I'm a big dork, but <laughs> I always hear, I just can't wait to be king. Then going into under the sea. Like they're they're so closely related. I think it's because they're in similar keys, but like well, and they kind of have a similar rhythmic 
from a yeah. from a from a lyrical sense, right? Yes, and a and a groove standpoint, they're similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah I hadn't ever thought of that. I, I I always like go start one and I end up singing the other somehow. <laughs> And I think little I think Rowan Atkinson did such a great job of all of his little interjections that he puts oh, in. Yeah. You know, just the sheer frustration of you're not the king yet, you know, you don't have any hair, you know, your roar is not really a roar. Um I just think it's all just I it's just brilliant. It's just so much yeah. fun. His interjections are just as memorable as the lyrics. Oh absolutely. Absolutely. And really, to be honest with you, without them, it's not the same song. Yeah. I feel like yeah. you have to have them because you have to have that voice of of the power, right? You have to have that voice, that adult voice, because it also amplifies the youth of Simba, right? It's like it, it makes Simba even more youthful and, uh, you know, the joy and hope that he has. Uh, mm -hmm. for what's going on. So yeah, really great. Really great. I, I, um, uh, I just enjoy it. I just really yeah. enjoy it. And you can't help but kind of bop around when you're listening to it. You got to bounce, you got to tap your foot, you got to, you know, all that stuff. It's all mm -hmm. good. It's all good. Why don't we give a little bit of that? Uh, I, do you have anything else that you want to say about it? I'm not sure that there's much else to say. No, I think we covered it. Yeah. I, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, let's listen to a little bit of I, I Just Can't Wait to Be King. make a big leap on the recording <laughs> we uh in the movie we've been introduced to scar which is uh simba's uncle uh it's mufasa's brother uh and he was obviously not um you know made the king and uh and is a little bitter he's a little bitter just a little just a little just a little. i think that scar is one of the greatest villains ever Mm -hmm. um, and I think his sarcasm and his his bitterness and his just venom that comes out of his mouth I, is just brilliant. Jeremy Irons did a brilliant job with this yeah. with this role. He it's just iconic. Everybody knows who Scar is. Everybody knows the attitude, the eye roll. The everybody knows what it is. Right when you don't you don't even hardly you have to hear but one word to know who it is. Uh, yeah, which is really saying something really amazing. 
Um, so we've got this song called Be Prepared. Um, uh, we go dark really fast. <laughs> it is like, I mean, the, the imagery that they use, uh, what he's talking about, the hyenas um, as his army, right? Uh, you know, the, the, the calling back of the third Reich in it and those images, um, you know, I just, I mean, as an adult, I look back at that and I think, oh my, oh my God, (laughs) holy cow. You know, it is just so, uh, it's, it's a great, it's one of the greatest villain songs, really. Yeah. And when you talk about Scar as a villain, you know, in so many Disney films, do they deal with the loss of a parent? But rarely do we see, do we get to know that parent and then see the loss happen. Right. But, but also to see the loss happen at the hand of a character that you also see, you know, in in, in Bambi, that I mean, there are fewer scarier things than hearing that gunshot, but you don't see the man, right? You know, right. Um, but to know that it is Mufasa who has, or it is Scar that who has set up the murder of Mufasa. Yeah, I hope we didn't spoil that for anybody. Spoiler oh, alert. Yeah. Sorry, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I can't actually. I don't think I can't think of another instance where you actually see the villain doing the act of, you know, setting up or the actual killing of the, the actual killing. Yeah. I, yeah. It's, that's true. Yeah. I had not thought of that, that you don't like, he was already the villain. If he, even if he hadn't killed Mufasa, you knew he was the villain. Right. Mm-hmm. But then to actually see him do the deed, uh, even makes it, even makes it worse. Right. I mean, yeah. I love Maleficent. She's my oh, fa- yeah. she's my favorite villain. She is just evil. But uh you know, even she doesn't take that step. Right? We don't see right. her kill anybody. Right. So, um yeah, so dark. So what do you think of this song? I mean, I I'm trying to think of how to describe this song. I don't know I don't know how to describe it except that it reminds me of what the music that you might have heard um, during World War II when talking about Germany. Yeah, there's there's definitely a militant component to it, a very threatening and sort of uh, uh, continuous rhythm, uh, like rhythmic momentum of pushing it forward. Right. That always gives it sort of this presence and this almost this sense that you're being chased, um, but not like... Ro- in a sense, like someone's always following you. You're not actually being chased, but there's always someone kind of lurking in the background. Right. It, it definitely gives that vibe. And shout out to the um, to the choice of Mr. Zimmer to use the um, the big roto toms that were made so famous in Les Mis and, you know, the drum. Yeah. Know, with extra reverb. I mean, it is, yeah. it is on point in this early 90s uh, in this film um, or in this song in particular. And, you know, you, you think of like a song like Circle of Life or I Just Can't Wait to Be King. The lyrics are so 
like just present in our conscious. But the lyrics of "Be Prepared," like I, if I'll, I'll be humming it in my head, and I don't always recall what the lyrics are, except of course, you know, "Be Prepared." Right. And after taking a look at these lyrics, I mean, it is, it is kind of like in our when we talked about the lyrics in Hunchback of Hellfire. Um, these lyrics are are much darker than what you remember them. If you just, if you just read them as text. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I'm, I just pulled it up. You're yeah. exactly, so per, you know, so prepare for the coup of the century. Be prepared for the murkiest scam, meticulous planning, tenacity spanning decades of denial is simply why I'll be King undisputed, respected, saluted. I mean, he is, he cray. Yeah. <laughs> He, is, he has a he little, absor- he's a little cray cray. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and it's brilliant lyric writing. I mean, it is, it is really excellent. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking Kings and successions. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's brilliant. You're exactly right. Uh, a shining new era is tiptoeing nearer. Uh, so good. You know, it's, it's kind of like, now I'm not a songwriter, so I don't, I can't actually test you know talk specifically to how a composing team or a songwriting team would you know go about you know do the music comes does the music come first or the lyrics come first but there are certain songs like I, I feel like be prepared and circle of life there's a poeticism in their lyrics that they could almost be set to any music um versus like i just can't wait to be king because it's so rhythmic and playful it those couplets right. almost have to be crafted, you know, with intent. But here, I just feel like this is like poetry that he could write, or yeah. a monologue that Scar could, could, you it's, know, sol- soliloquize. It is. It is very Shakespearean. Yeah. It is very Shakespearean. You're exactly. You're exactly right. And I, and I like his, um, his choice to make it sparse of word. Right. He gets mm-hmm. his ideas across without making long statements about it. Um, right. It, it is very it's very condensed. Yeah. And it's it's also got that same sort of talk singy thing that, you know, Henry Higgins also had. Right. And and I'm sure that Jeremy Irons appreciated. Yes. <laughs> And actually, now that I mention it, Jeremy Irons actually played Henry Higgins in a 1987 studio cast recording of My Fair Lady. So there you go. Well, there you go. I didn't even know that. I bet he was great. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think, yeah, he really comes across, uh, you know, as he is. I mean, he's just bad. Like, there Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be any redemptive quality to him at all. No. Um, And... Uh, usually we like our, but he does have flaws, right? He is a flawed character. Yes. Um, and, and we see that, uh, you know, later on in the movie, especially we see that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there is just no redemption for him. There, there doesn't seem to be any moment of levity for him, or it's just this constant, you know, drive for power. And control, uh, yeah. you know, because he's the weaker and he's been left behind and he's, you know, whatever he feels like he's been slighted. Uh, right. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this this is a great view into his brain. That's the other thing I like about this song is a lot of these songs are like, you know, I just can't wait to be king. Um, we kind of get a, I mean, we get a, a look at what Simba's, you know, it's his, it's his I want song. So, I mean, it's, you know, we get a look at his, what he wants and what he's excited about and stuff. But this is really, we're diving into his mind, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you think of, I mean, there are a lot of themes in The Lion King, but, you know, there's one, one theory that, you know, if the circle of life is sort of angelic-like or heaven-like, then be prepared as hell like yeah you know because they're you know it's what what's the um mufasa's line everything you know beyond the uh everything the light touches is part of your kingdom and you can never go beyond that you know this is sort of you know the elephant graveyard you know simba and young simba and young nala no they're not supposed to go there um and then they end up there and then it's between the way it's staged and then the smoking that the smoke that comes around scar and then the hyenas, you know, jumping into the skulls of the elephant of the dead elephants. I mean, yeah, the imagery is is really poetic. Yeah, really, really. And to think that they did this with not their top animators, right? Right. This was that other side project. That's right. This was that side project, right? That was not, you know, the Pocahontas was supposed to be the, the prestige. Um, right. so I love be prepared, um, because I, yeah. cause I love villain songs just in general. Um, and, uh, so let's listen to some of be prepared and listen to Jeremy Irons and his evil. I know that your powers of retention are as wet as a warthog's backside, but thick as you are, pay attention. My words are a matter of pride. It's clear from your vacant expression. The lights are not all on upstairs. But we are talking kings and successions. Even you can't be caught unawares. So prepare for the chance of a lifetime. Be prepared for sensational news. A shining new era is tiptoeing nearer. And where do we feature? Just listen to teacher. I know it sounds sordid, but you'll be rewarded when at last I am given my dues. And injustice deliciously squared. Be prepared. Yeah, be prepared. <laughs> we'll be prepared. <laughs> For what? For the death of the king. Is he sick? No, fool, we're gonna kill him. Simba, too. Great idea! Who needs a king? No! That song is just. I mean, it's everything you want in a villain's song, right? It really is. Everything you want. Um, so well, it's well scored, it's well written, um, you know, the words, everything. It's just so well done. Uh, and then we go on down the road and uh, we come to a much different song. <laughs> this is, I'll say. Yeah, this, this is about as different as it gets uh, from Be Prepared. Uh, we are, of course, talking about Hakuna Matata, which has become. What a wonderful phrase. What a wonderful phrase. Uh, Hakuna Matata. Uh, I could probably do the whole song. That's I, how I would, I would love to see that. Yeah, that's how catchy it is, right? I mean, that is 
I I think that I could. I think I could do the whole thing. And it is I equate this song to Don't Worry Be Happy. <laughs> I like that. Right? I mean it's the same thing. And it's the same I feel like it's the same feel. It's that, you know, just don't worry about it. Be carefree. Just, you know, it's all good. It's going to be okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's so funny, you know, so Akuna Matata, the Swahili phrase that means no problem and or like they say in the movie, no worries. Right. Um, You know, and think about what a cultural, you know, icon that phrase is now. I mean, yeah. you could go any almost anywhere in the world and say that and they know what you're talking about. I mean, it's unbelievable that that. Uh, you know, again, you know, it, this was just a song that they thought for comedic relief after a character gets murdered, you know, totally for com- comedic relief. I mean, there is no other reason for this song except for Simba to grow up. <laughs> right. right. We had and to pass to dis- time and and to display a great, you know, comedic duo of a meerkat and a warthog. Oh, and my God. Yeah. And Nathan stuff. Lane and Ernie Sabella in this are brilliant. They mm-hmm. are brilliant. Um I, you know, ugh, so good. I would have loved to have seen them in Guys and Dolls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah. But such a, just such a great, catchy song. Another song from this movie that's become just iconic in the Disney, you know, book of music. Um, and I think uh, it, it is a simple song. It's not complicated, Right. But it mm-hmm. is. Right? They managed to get a simple, catchy idea into this song um, that just, I mean, it's a brain, it's a, it's a worm, right? It's an earworm. Yeah, it's an earworm. And, you know, again, through it, like you said, you know, it starts off with young Simba. And then there's that scene where they're crossing the bridge and they're just walking, you know, in in tempo to the song. I don't know what scene you're talking about. I've never seen that before. Uh, Of course not. (laughs) (laughs) And then next thing you know, he's, you know, 22 year old Simba. Right. Right. Or whatever. Exactly. However old you have to be. Right. Um, Yeah. It's, it really, uh, I, you know, there's just, there's not a lot to say about it except that it's joyful. Um, It fits the moment perfectly. Right. And in a surprising way, with surprising deliverers of the message. Yeah. And I I think it's only, you know, maybe a verse and a chorus. And then there's that, you know, that instead of dance break, that uh, that grow up break. And then it just repeats itself. I mean, it's a pretty simple, like you said, it's a very simple song. Yeah, it's pretty much A, B. Right. I mean, that's pretty much it. It's nothing. We're not we're not doing rocket science with this song. Um, no. Um, you know, and what I do like is that there's a little and I like to think of it. I, I don't know if I have no evidence to back this up. But if you um, you know, I, I believe that the song just kind of keeps going and there's a, you know, a fade out. Right. And and there's a little kind of cool jazzy clarinet solo that starts at sort of at the beginning of the fade out. And you can, if you listen carefully, you can kind of hear it go on, which is very similar to what they did in the jungle book. Um, You're right. Of, um, uh, is, I think it's, I want to be like you. Yeah. Yeah. It might, it might be a trumpet there. Um, and it just fades out and you know, there's just this 
cute little solo that, you know, you'll only hear if you're, you know, you're really listening for it. But I, I like to think of it as a nice little nod to the other Disney movie that also took place in a jungle. Right, right. And, you know, the other thing that I like about it um, is that um, I love the way that Hans Zimmer was able to take that background during that quote unquote dance section where we watch him grow up and mm-hmm. weave that back through his score. Yes. Right. I love that uh, that little thematic, uh, you know, da, 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 da. It's just so simple before they come back going Hakuna, Matata, Hakuna. Right. Yeah. So nicely done. Um, it, as much as I think in in most movies, it would feel like an out of place. It would, it would the song would feel out of place. For some reason in this movie, it does not feel out of place at all. Mm hmm. It seems right. to fit just perfectly with the movie. And I can't imagine you – know, of course I can't imagine it now. I mean, you know, but, uh, yeah. you, you know, it, it makes you want to talk to Elton John and Tim Rice and go, did you have any other ideas for that? Or was yeah. that always what it was? Yeah. And, you know, it's it's so needed. And I, and I, I think we can't underscore this enough. Like I, I remember the first time seeing this. There are three, like – hallmark moments that I remember seeing this in the theaters for the first time. One was that bass drum stinger we talked about yes. at the end of Circle of Life. Yeah. The second is um, the the incredible cinematography of when when the stampede's about to happen oh. and and it, it the camera zooms, like pushes up and zooms right on Simba and his yeah. big eyes right as he realizes what's coming. Yes. I mean, that image is so striking. Um, especially if you're a little kid and then to feel the, 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 the thunder of the, of the wildebeest stampede. And then to realize that spoiler alert, Mufasa is not there. And then he wakes up and these vultures are surrounding him. Little Simba. I mean, it's a, it's a heavy thing ordeal that has just taken place. That's right. It's a lot. It's a lot for an adult, let alone a a four-year-old. Yeah. And, you need that light and dark balance and then to go from that such dark place to then all of a sudden, you know, they're eating bugs underneath the, the <laughs> log. And, you know, and, and they're just and, slimy you know, yet satisfying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. Tastes like chicken. Um, and basically, I mean, they're telling him, like, you don't need to go, you know, I mean, Simba's convinced that this at this moment that he killed his father because Scar told him that this is your fault. Right. And these guys, you know, Timon and Pumbaa are basically saying, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, don't look, got to leave the past behind you. Right. It doesn't matter what you did. Let's just go on, you know, just keep moving forward. Right. Which again, isn't a great message. Um, but you know, you need it. They, (laughs) in this lighthearted way, they just, you know, they, they take us from this really dark place, Shakespearean drama to, right, you know, back to the comedy aspect again. Yeah, it's really important. Yeah, yeah, really fun. I agree. I love it. I love. Let's stop talking about it. Let's listen to it. Let's let's listen. All right, let's listen. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata. Ain't no person craze. It means no worries for the rest of your day. Matata. 
when he was a young warthog. When I was a young warthog. Very nice. Thanks. He found his aroma like a certain appeal. He could clear the savannah after every meal. I'm a sensitive soul, though I seem thick-skinned. And it hurt that my friends never stood downwind. And oh, the shame! What's the shame? What a change in my name! Oh, what's in a name? And I got downhearted. Time to feel you! Every time that I... Pumper, not in front of the kids. Oh, sorry. Hakuna Matata What a wonderful phrase Hakuna Matata Ain't no passing praise It means no worries For the rest of your day I do love that song. I do. I, I, mm-hmm. I And it's, you know, it's interesting because there are some songs that I'm like, oh yeah, 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 I, whatever. And I can pass over it. I almost always listen to that song from beginning to end. Yeah. I, I just think it just brings it just makes me happy, so I do. Yeah. Well, you know, you can't have a Disney animated feature without a love story. It's just what? not possible. It's not possible. You there have been some that you could. I mean, Dumbo doesn't really have a love story, I guess, right? But uh but you know, this one definitely has a love story. Um, and it's what brings Simba back to the pride. Really? Yep. It's the reason he comes back. Um, Nala finds him, uh, which... And boy, does she guilt him. Yeah, oh boy, she does, doesn't she? Wow. Yeah, she's... Yeah, whoo. Um, and I love the... I love when she comes in to the movie at this point and chases Timon and Pumbaa around. I just love it. Such a funny sequence to watch them being chased. Um, And then the moment when she pins Simba and he realizes, oh, wait a minute. I've been here before. (laughs) (laughs) Cupid hath struck again. Uh, Yeah, I've I've been here before. Um, And we get a great sequence, great visual sequence um, and a song that's not sung by the characters. Uh, right. You know, Circle of Life is not really sung by the characters. Um, and this is not sung by the characters. We, uh, um, well, we get, you know, at the beginning, what we, in the end, we get The Lion Sleeps Tonight, right? Or at the beginning. Uh, right. But, <laughs> but that's not what we're really doing here. Um, and Na- uh, Timon, and, Timon and Pumbaa start this song, but... Right. Um, that's it. And then they finish it. They start and finish it, but it's, can you feel the love tonight? So it's the love song of the, uh, the love ballad of the, of the movie. Um, and the one, the song that won the Academy Award, uh, and you know, is really a, just a pop ballad. Mm -hmm. It's probably my least favorite of the things that we've talked about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, I'm glad you brought up the point. It's interesting. Like it, it's sung by the voices of adult Simba and adult Nala, but unlike the other songs, you don't see the the characters singing. No, which is such an interesting choice. I can't think of another film where it does that. Yeah, it's very odd. And if you don't know those voices, if you don't recognize them, you don't even really realize that it's 
their voice is singing, right? You could right. go through this number and not realize that that's what it is. Yeah. Uh-huh. Actually, you know what? The the other film that I can think of where characters are singing and you don't see the mouths moving is the 2019 version that we will not mention. And yes, that was a slam on that. I don't version. know what you're talking about. I, I don't <laughs> know. I do not know what movie you're talking about. Because you don't see the mouths move either. <laughs> Or the eyes. Or, or the, the eyes. Or... <laughs> That's a different story. But boy, their fur looks good. Come on. Photorealism. 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 It's the live action right. remake, remember? <laughs> live action remake. If oh, my must. God. Okay. Um, but, wow. But yeah, it's so it's so interesting. Like I, I can't think of an example where uh, the, the the main song love ballad is happening and the characters are not you don't see the characters singing you know no they don't even start it it's started right. by timon and pumbaa right I, so i it's very odd it's very odd and not that it was a bad choice it worked fine for what they were doing um it let them have a love montage right which is basically right. what they did they were like let's have a love montage um and then they did so, uh, yeah. and, and if, and, I'm, if I'm sorry, go ahead. I would say, and, and I, it's, it's beautiful to watch once. <laughs> sorry. That was, that was, that was a little snarky. Um, what? When, that's not true. I've seen it many, many times. Um, I don't speed. No, ladies and gentlemen, I don't speed through this. I don't fast forward through this as much as my youngest daughter would like me to. I don't. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I just find it odd. I almost find it out of place. Yeah, I mean, the other thing that as I'm sitting here thinking about it is you don't really hear the full lyrics of the song until the end credits when Elton is singing. Like, the, there's a calm surrender. I don't think that's in the that you hear that in the in the animated sequence. Ah, I have to go back and listen to it. I don't recall. We, we I, you know, there are people right now screaming at their phones or at whatever their computers, going, "Yes, you do. <laughs> you hear it. You do." Um, yeah, I'll have to go back now. Now, oh, see what you did. Now I'm gonna so, go back and watch this. <laughs> it's the last time I'm ever having you on this show. <laughs> no, <laughs> so much music to talk about. <laughs> Um, you know, and it's interesting. It's not that I really hate the song. I don't hate the song. I think as a pop ballad, it's fine. Um, I just find it, I just find it a little out of place. I, I almost feel like it was the gift to Elton John, right? It was like, you have done such amazing work writing out of your style and writing other things here. Let us hand you, here's a softball for you, right? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was the here's now write the the pop single that you know that's exactly like Tiny right. Dancer and Rocket Man you that's know in the exactly great tradition right. of those. Yeah, yeah, it really is. It really is. Um, and and you know we talked about it. He sings it on. Uh, isn't this what he sings on the end credits? This is the end credit song, right? Yeah, yeah. And and I'm looking up the lyrics, and yes, the full lyrics you don't hear until the end credit version. Because just like you said, Timon and Pumbaa start and end the song. Ah, so yes. A lot of verses that we don't hear in the film proper, and you know, only hear it on the end credits. Well, there you go. 
Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, and it's also the other interesting thing is it's the last song of the of the film. Yeah. It happens at the beginning of Act Three, right? Or would you say it's the end of Act Two? Would you call this the end of Act Two? Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's the end of Act Two. Yeah, because it's when he decides to go back, right? Because then Act Three is the resolution of the conflict, right? right. So I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah. I and it's the last song. Act Three doesn't have a song in it. Nope. It's just music. Gr- Thank goodness. Great score. Yeah. Great score. Yeah, amazing scoring. Um, and uh, I mean, I guess if you call that little Hawaiian bit that that Nathan Lane does a song, but. Um, you know, where he puts on the hula skirt. <laughs> right. One of my favorite scenic moments of one of my favorite movie moments. Yes. Uh, I was laughing so hard when that happened. Um, so good. Uh, yeah. So last song, I, I think that's also one of the reasons that it kind that I'm kind of like eh, on it. Uh, Cause yeah. I feel like it doesn't leave me from a musician, from a singer standpoint. As a singer, yeah. it doesn't leave me, you know, I don't know. It just kind of leaves me hanging. It's not even a, it's not even an 11th hour song. It's just a love song, right? It's just, no. I can't you even know, call I you can't even call it a power ballad. It's not even a power ballad. <laughs> no, no, well, cer- certainly not in the, not in the, in the film proper, you know, right. the animated sequence. It's not right. But you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, and again, you know, only five songs is not a ton of songs for, this this golden era renaissance disney renaissance yeah. of animated musicals um but i but i do think the the score is so triumphant in the third act yeah because again of all the themes we're talking about and yeah uh, you know simba remember who you are with the right the beautiful base of james earl jones right i mean the score is more than i think with possibly the exception of Hunchback, the score in the last 20 minutes of the film is probably one of the most epic Disney scores. In oh, the easily, easily. So let's listen to, before we start talking about that, let's listen to a little bit of Can You Feel the Love Tonight? And then we'll jump right into the score because um, it definitely deserves some conversation. So let's listen to a little bit of this. I can see what's happening. What? And they don't have a clue. Oh, they'll fall in love, and here's the bottom line. Our trio's down to two. Oh. The sweet caress of twilight. There's magic everywhere. And with all this romantic atmosphere, disaster's in the air. To make her see the truth about my past, impossible. She'd turn away from me. He's holding back, he's hiding. But what I can't decide, why won't he be 
Now that we all feel lovey-dovey and cozy and warm and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, let's talk about this score. Um, from the beginning of this movie clear to the end, you cannot separate the score from a single moment of this movie. Yeah. There is mm-hmm. not a moment where you can go where you could say, ah, the score doesn't really enhance what's going on. Right. It is, it is truly, it is, it is truly Zimmer at his best. Yeah. And relatively early in Zimmer's scoring career. And I, I'm, this was the first Oscar that he won for original score. Yes. Um, and you know, some could argue that his scores in the more recent times have seemed to be you know, perhaps formulaic or have similar um, sonorities, similar right. sounding sonorities. Right. But I, you know, and that's he's talking anyone, about. And for those of you out there that don't know what he's talking about, he's talking about how it sounds. It has similar yeah. sounds. That's the easiest way. I mean, I know what you mean by sonorities, but but you're talking it, about it, that the scores sound similar. Yeah, it's a diplomatic way of saying it. It some of it sounds the same. Yeah. Yeah, like almost like he's recycled it a little bit. Right. Um, now, and obviously in a career that spans things from Pirates of the Caribbean to Interstellar and Gladiator and the Dark Knight trilogy. <laughs> I was about I mean, to say, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but the, when I when I listen to a lot of Hans Zimmer scores, that's what I feel like. I feel like there are these huge hallmarks and then some of it, some of the other stuff in between is just is not meandering, but maybe not. Finding quite a unique voice. Yeah, as, it's filler. As yeah. And yeah. And I think the, you know, the epicness of the, the his Lion King score um, is so sweeping. And even like we said before, even though, you know, the resources went to Pocahontas because they had they wanted a sweeping romantic epic. What they got here was a sweeping emotional epic. Of, yes even larger of Shakespearean proportions. Right. Right. Very and much. I, and, and Zimmer really stepped up to the plate with it. Yes. Like, I mean, there, the, there are fewer, you know, more monumental moments than the da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, I was as, just as, thinking about that actually. <laughs> Yeah, at the, at the end of the fight when it's raining and Simba's walking up and he's taking his place and, you know, um, which if you think of that melody is going up and then down and then up again as he's, you know, walking forward to his future, but then having hesitance and walking and receding and walking back and then going forward again. I mean, there's all sorts of imagery within the notation of its, of, of the of that melody. Right. Um, but it's... You know, that plus the choir background that Leboem put in there. I mean, I was about to say one of the things I love about this score is his use of voices throughout mm-hmm. it. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just it's over. It's overwhelming, I think, is the is the best way to say it, especially if you're in a theater 
uh, and you have the surround sound and the huge screen in front of you. I mean, I, I remember just feeling so overwhelmed at the emotion of that moment because not just because of what ha you know what has happened so far in the film, but it really goes to show you what a good film score can do is just completely envelop you in in the emotion of what you're seeing in the story. Right. Right. He really captures, you know, I, I think as a composer, um, and I am not a composer, I would, I would be remiss to even declare myself a composer, but I think a lot of times, um, composers, especially film composers take the easy road, right? They take the road that is familiar to them and that is, um, repetitive and not, you know, it's like, oh, well, I have a dramatic moment here or I have to, I have to build tension. Let me just repeat this note 25,000 times, right? Um, or this rhythm, let me just, you know, this ominous rhythm, let me just play it. And I don't feel like he did this. I feel like he really took the time to understand the sweeping nature of the story that was being told mm -hmm. and then rose to the occasion of that story. Um, yeah. It was like I the mean, perfect composer at the perfect time. It was, you know. Yes. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I think, like you were saying, there are moments in in film scoring where, you know, it's like um, a, a lot of composers often say, like, you know, uh, when they're kind of in – or when a you know the a score is usually one of the last things to happen before the film is released like <laughs> weeks before the film is yeah, released yeah exactly and it usually has to be cranked out right really fast um and so what sometimes what the director will do in the editor in the editing bay is they'll put a temp score in just to show the composer what kind of music they're thinking of where you know and a lot of that quote temp score music or that stock you know, the, the stock scores. And, you know, we hear this all the time in previews because very rarely are the scores done for the preview. Right. It's usually stock music from something else. Right. That, right. You know, that's owned by the, the production company. And so often some of those, those very, uh, t those temp score f feeling moments happen, you know, by the actual composer, either because, that maybe they're not, you know, sometimes it's maybe the material isn't bringing forth a newer layer of inspiration or whatever. Long way of saying there's a lot of scores that kind of meander and don't really take us anywhere. Right. Um, but for the magnitude of the, and the, the mythic themes that this film has, it required something th that you couldn't just get, a, you know, a, a, a stock, piece of music for it had to be purposefully written with this story and this drama in mind. Right. And the interesting thing is, is considering that it was Disney's side project, right? It was the secondary project that was going on to end up having the score that it has is really something, right? It's really yeah. a, 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 uh, a monumental accomplishment to rise above what everybody thought of this movie as being. 
Um, because honestly, I'll, I, without the Zimmer score, it is not nearly as epic. Yeah, as it is. I mean, I'm thinking about when the wildebeest are coming over the hill, and you have those voices, you know, happening, and yeah. like, just, it's just amazing. And like you said, the sweeping line, the ups and downs as he's, as he's taking his place on Pride Rock, um, you know, at the end of the movie, and uh, the jubilance that it transforms into. Um, mm-hmm. Just and the the ease of that transition, like it's not harsh at all. It just naturally goes into it. To yeah. take the artistry and the the time that it takes to to do that, uh, you know, people don't understand that. Yeah, and on the on the the soundtrack, the the track, remember who you are that the um you know which is the scene when simba is talking in in the cloud to the heavens and the clouds right. swirl around and you know the, right. the score to that the underscore to that scene again is, is really powerful and um very moving as well yeah i just um there just can't be enough said i also think that um lebo m's impact on this score cannot be understated mm-hmm. um i think his uh, the knowledge and the culture and the the breadth of talent that he brought into it also make it what it is, right? Yeah. Um. He and and I don't think that he gets near. I think in the music world he gets credit for it. Like I think with us, you know, the mm-hmm. the the music nerds of the world, he gets a lot of credit for it. But I think in the general population, people don't even know that he had anything to do with it. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it, it reminds me that, you know, given the, given the, the events of the world that we're living in, in 2020, it, it reminds me that, you know, the film came out in 94. So that means in 1991 well, in 1992, you know, almost 30 years ago, you know, Disney easily could have said again, because this was the side project, you know, Let's just have Hans Zimmer, you know, do the score um, and we'll bring in the lions so the artists can practice drawing animals. And that's and, you know, and that's good enough. But to, you know, to have found the authenticity to go right. to South Africa, and find the composer of Lebo M so he can really bring back, you know, so because we don't want it to be culturally appropriated and we don't want a Caucasian's man's a ca- Caucasian man's, you know, views of what African music is. Right. Right. For them right. to have the, the, you know, the forethought and the, uh, you know, the, I, I don't even know the right word, but for, for them to have the foresight to, and, and, and the resources to say, let's find an expert in this music and invite him to be a part of the collaborative process in an already large kitchen with a lot of cooks. Right. I mean, they, they were very forward thinking and a lot of for, egos and a, and a lot of egos. Yeah. Very forward thinking for 30 years ago. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, um, uh, it's amazing how we can be watching movies from 30 years ago and how the, th- the thematic material resonates still. Right. That mm-hmm. it's not, um, uh, it, it, it was, 
you know, they they dealt with broad themes and broad ideas, and it's still relevant today, even probably more relevant today, right? Because of what we're going through in yeah. 2020 and the world that we live in. Um, it's very, it was very fascinating, but I absolutely love this score. And um, it is one of the few Disney soundtracks where they put the songs before the score and I will go through and listen to the whole score. Mm-hmm. I will listen. The other one that I do that to all the time is Mulan. I will listen to Mulan straight through. I just yeah. think it's, I just think that score is just magnificent. Uh, but uh, yeah, very you know, and and as the score, the other thing that I find interesting is as you're listening to the score, you know what's going on. Mm-hmm. It the score yeah. tells the story. Yeah. Ah, which is just so epic, right? It just shows the 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 masterful understanding of his craft. And at yeah. an early time in his career, right? Yeah. I think really that's that's the what this distinguishes great scores from just good scores is that if you can tell more or less what's happening by just the score. Yeah. That's the sign of a, of a true craftsperson. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's, that's exactly right. I, I, and I like that word. I like, you know, because it is a craft. It is an amazing, uh, talent and craft. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I was, I was given as a gift, um, the, you know, the Walt Disney records has been coming out with these legacy collection CDs. Yes. Yes. Um, and I was given the Lion King legacy collection one, um, which for the first time has the complete, like every note that was written in the film of the score is on the CD. Oh my gosh. Um, and, uh, and it's two discs. The second disc has actually a lot of score demos, um, which is very interesting to hear, you know, what the score demo in the early nineties sounded like. Um, and then some of the Elton John early demos, as well as some, some cut songs, which is always cool to hear what songs were cut. Yeah. Um, may or may not have ended up in the Broadway version. We'll discuss Um, that later. Yes. Um, but the, um, to hear the score and, and it's been remastered, you know, for this legacy collection release, but to hear the full score in, in, you know, again, with really good speakers or headphones or surround sound is really, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody go out and look for that. If you can find it on Spotify. Oh yeah. There you go. Go out to Spotify and, and listen to that. Absolutely. Uh, I know what I'm going to be doing, uh, during work tomorrow. I know what I'm going to be listening to. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I hope nobody decides to talk to me during that time. That would be tragic. Um, anyway, uh, let's listen to, before we wrap up here, let's listen to a little bit of, uh, this score, uh, this masterpiece that Hans Zimmer created.
it's you know it it's hard it, it was hard to choose a section of score uh to play because i could play anything but i thought the end of the movie is just the most epic and probably my favorite part right so that's yeah. why i chose it <laughs> Mm-hmm. But that's certainly not to say that the rest of the score is not brilliant. So <laughs> mm-hmm. it's yeah. just it's you know we're at the end of the podcast, end of the movie. I just thought it seemed appropriate that that would be the, that that little piece would be it. And I love that transition uh, in there. Yeah. So that you know that's that's all that's all part of it. Um, well, I I think we've done this. I think we've talked about it. Yeah. Do you I, have anything? Do you have anything else that you'd like to add about the Lion King? Um, you know, I, I was in preparation for this. I, I stumbled across the original movie poster. Nice. And the original movie poster is really like as a piece of art is really beautiful, especially with the with, you know, Mufasa in the sky in the background. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can't again, he is the, the foreground and then you see Pride Rock but you can't really see what's on Pride Rock. But it's such it, – and the, the different shades of blue and the way the sun is just peering through the clouds. Mm-hmm. It's really a gorgeous – and it's not – you know, it doesn't have a lot of text. It doesn't have all the stuff at the bottom with, you know, the screenwriter and the director and all that. It's just a, a, a very beautiful visual. I was – I just stumbled upon that and thought I'd mention that. <laughs> That's quite all right. <laughs> I, you know, I think um, – I actually just pulled it up. Uh, I totally agree. It is it is quite stunning. Um, I I think uh, you know when when you talk about masterpieces of animation, I definitely think it's one that uh, has to be included in the conversation. Yeah. Um, I remember listening, and I will be perfectly honest with you. I remember when they when I first heard about this movie, um, and it was before I had seen the preview of it. <laughs> I was like, what? 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 How are they going to tell that story? What is what's interesting about that story, right? Um, about a lion becoming king? I was like, I don't get it. Honestly, I don't get it. Uh, and now here we are, almost thirty years later, calling it a masterpiece. Right. Uh, and that is, uh, I think, if they released this animated feature today, as it is, if it had never been released before, it would be just as big today. As it was then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Honestly, I think, so. I think it stands the test of time. I think it. Uh, I think you know we're going to be talking about this movie for a long time, uh, not just um, in a you know in this in the realm of this little time period. Um, right. I think I think fifty years down the road we're still going to be talking about the Lion King and it being a masterpiece, a Disney masterpiece. So. Yeah. So, Aaron, it has been so great having you on and having you add your immense knowledge uh, to the podcast. Well, thank I, you. It's a pleasure to join you as always. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And I know we sound it's so funny because I, I like when we did the hunchback and stuff, we sound so formal and like our greetings and stuff. And we're really not that way. <laughs> We just have a good time. That's right. Yeah. You know, we're we usually are just joking around and stuff. Um, But uh, I am really excited uh, to talk to you about the stage version of this um, and to uh, dig into that music because uh, there is even more brilliance to uh, to mine out of that Mm -hmm. show. 
Uh, oh yeah. I mean, there's sure. a reason it's still running, right? It's still going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not going right now, but it will be well, no, when it, when yeah, it reopens. It will right be. Uh, yeah. There's a reason though. There is a reason for that. Um, and there's a lot to talk about with that. That may end up having to be a two a two episode uh, podcast because there is so much to talk about with that. Because you know we'll talk about more than just the music. I mean, come on, for sure, it's us. Well, and, <laughs> and then don't forget about Lion King two and Lion King one and a half. I okay. So can I say <laughs> I hate Lion King two, but I love Lion King one and a half. I you know honestly I I cannot remember them. <laughs> You need to go back and see one and a half because it's through the eyes of of Timon and Pumbaa. Okay. It is a riot. It is a riot. Uh, You know, and I mean, there's been, you know, they had the, they had the TV show. Um, Oh yeah. That I I watched when I was little. Yeah. yeah, And then they also just came out with Lion Guard not too many years ago. That's Mm -hmm. actually pretty good. (laughs) Okay. All right. It's actually not bad. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's not Bugs Bunny, but. It's not bad. It's not yeah. bad. Um, so, but no, Lion King one and a half is one of my favorites. I, okay, I, it I'll makes, check it, it out. It just makes, well, it's, I mean, it's almost all Timon and Pumbaa, right? And it's their view right. of what's, what happens. So it's so funny. So good. Um, so yeah, check that out. Uh, Cause it, you will definitely laugh. Um, but, okay. but thanks again. And uh, yeah. like I said, I look forward to talking to you about the stage show. We're going to have a great time. Um, yes, hey, I can't wait. Yeah, Aaron, if they want to, if they want to find you on social media or on Twitter or something, you is there some some place that they can, that people can like tweet you or? Sure. Um, I, I don't have Twitter. Um, I do have I have Instagram. Um, my handle is ask a s k, which are my initials, and then cello c e l l o. So ask cello. Nice. Um, or you can uh, have a website, AaronSKaplan.com. And you can. Um, reach out to me through there or if you find me on Facebook I'm there too and feel free to send a message awesome that's great Uh, also if you want to find me out there uh, you can find me I'm the Disney Music Dude on Twitter Uh, you can find me Magic Music Review on Facebook Um, I also uh, am if you don't know I have another podcast where we do Disney news and uh, Disney topics called the goofy guy podcast so you can find me out there the goofy guy.com that's probably the best place to find me email me at jim at the goofy guy uh on twitter it's the goofy guy blog instagram and pinterest is also the goofy guy blog and on facebook it's the goofy guy so please feel free we would love to hear what you have to say um about this movie memories or love of the music or if you don't like the music let us know that too i'm always interested uh, in hearing all sides of those those things because you know my opinion is nobody's opinion is wrong because it's your opinion I don't have to agree with you I just have to respect that it's your opinion uh, but we'd love to have that conversation with you and maybe we'll even uh, read a few of those on uh, on the next episode if we get those in time but having said that thanks so much for spending this time with us um, and listening to this and talking about this wonderful movie and music And I will look forward to to, uh, talking to you later. Take care, everyone. Now it's time to say goodbye to all our company. See you real soon.
because we like you. Yeah.